Treadster. Do you like how crisp our voices sound? Trent. Yes? It's a good thing you mentioned crispness, because thanks for asking. I just had chips. Um, oh. Tortilla chips, to be exact. Um, we had some excess ones from when we were making nachos, and so I thought that'd be yummy. What about you, Trent? Did you have chips? Uh, good question. No, um, I just had a piece of grocery store cheesecake. But Parthenize, um, newly, I mean, our voices are always soothing. People come in for that, you know? Yeah, I know that that's our curb appeal. But thanks to, um, some very valuable, uh, Adobe Premiere advice from our friend of the show, Adam Volerich, uh, who... Parth, can you want to give some information? Sure. He uh, he runs his own podcast called Eye of the Duck, and if you haven't listened to it, you should. It's kind it's kind of like our podcast, but like kind of better to be real. Trent, please come on. Craft services. We we know we are the cream of the crop. We are the industry standard. But yes, they are better than us, and you should check them out. But Adam Volerich, friend of the show, former professor of ours. He gave us some audio editing tips so that we could make our voices sound nice and crispy. Because we came crawling to his virtual doorstep and we said, Adam, what are you doing to your voice? Is it just, is it just your microphone? What, what, what sort of post-production secrets do you know? And then he said... Um, he held a gun up to your head and was like, you stupid idiot. You think I'm going to give away my trade secrets? But then he took mercy upon me. Yeah. And for that, we owe him our lives. A great debt. Uh, other recent controversy about the show, um, there was some dispute between Parth and I about whether the, the opening segment should discuss what we've been eating or what we've, you know, been watching. We thought since we were a movie podcast, maybe it was like discourse for the sake of discourse and that to abandon the, uh, I don't know, the, the food-related pun in our name and we put up a poll... And it seems like the people have spoken. What did they say, Parth? Thank you for asking me this, Trent. Uh, They sided with the role of food. Yeah, I mean, the people spoke. Uh, I'm not going to say I was right. People, The people have chosen, and I guess we're going to continue this bit that Trent loves. This kind of makes, you know, the opening, like, my one-star review, you know? Yeah, kind of. I think that's a fair trade. I don't know if it's a good aspect that, like, every segment has, you know, this... This theme of resent, like, under the surface. Yeah, like, it's a kind of, it kind of puts a weird tone to everything, right? Yeah, we're using a lot of film vocabulary words. Uh, mise-en-scene, auteur. 180-degree rule. Shot-reverse shot. Thanks for bringing up these terms, Trent. Uh, is there any, you know, the film terms, like, anything important surrounding film happening sometime soon? Maybe a festival of sorts? Yeah, the, uh... The Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts, and Sciences, you know, each year, they come together to say which people and which movies we should care about. And for that reason, it's uh, it's our 39th episode Oscar Spectacular Best Movie, Best Picture Extravaganza. Put your hands together. All right, start the podcast. Cue the intro. I'll probably cut that. Yeah, you should. Okay, well...
Welcome back to our show, Craft Services, um, a podcast where we talk about the movies. Um, each week, we ha- we interview someone who worked on a film that we like, and uh, but that's not what we did this week. We did something special, didn't we? Yeah, this episode is considered a special, so thank your lucky stars um, for a midweek release. I mean, usually our episodes come out on Sunday because, you know, it's like... The Day of the Lord. Yeah, if you're not going to church, you might as well have some way to rejoice and... Uh, or listen in church. Yeah, um, and so the Oscars are on this Sunday when we'll be releasing our interview with uh, Spider-Man 2 camera operator Joseph Sissio. Does that sound about right? Yes, and, it, and and we'll also give an explanation to how that episode was almost a lost episode. Nearly the lost episode, but it wasn't. We, we found it. So we didn't say that it was the best picture extravaganza for nothing. It's because we're here primarily to talk about the eight best picture nominees, and we're going to rank them uh, very similar to how we did our Fincher ranking in our Mank episode. And Parth and I were talking earlier, and we were like, well, darn, we've had full-blown discussion episodes about many of the nominated movies. And- I think we've talked to, to like, five people. That it, like we, we talked about five movies that were eventually ended up getting nominated for Oscars. Well, uh, as of what's been released now, it's only four. It's currently Chicago 7, Nomadland, Mank, and Promising Young Woman. But Parth, I think you just accidentally teased uh, an upcoming release. Oops, did I do that? Yes. Um, a nice way of saying we'll be talking to the Judas and the Black Messiah production designer Sam Lysenko in a few weeks. He was very nice. Yeah, it was it was it was a good interview, I would say. But um, what I was saying is that when we rank these movies, you know, usually we give a little blurb, but uh, we're going to we're going to sideline some of the blurbs for the episodes that we've kind of already discussed. We'll also be giving our predictions on what we actually think will win all these categories versus our ranking, which is kind of just favoritism. As Trent said, we're just going to. One by one, we don't know the other person's ratings. We don't know the other person's ranking. We don't know anything. We're clueless children riding off into the sunset. These are confidential documents that Parth and I have uh, just put in the Google Drive folder. And uh, I'm just hoping, uh, under the cloak of darkness, he didn't go and uh, peek in my Google Doc. With that being said, Trent, is is it time? It's time. Shall I start? You're number eight. So my number eight, um, I don't think this is going to be terribly uh, surprising. It's Mank. Oh, heavens. I was not a fan. You can, you know, we, we did a whole discussion of it, but this, I, I, it brings me no pleasure to say that I was not a fan of it. It was very boring. It was one of my most hyped movies. I love David Fincher, but I'm sorry. This just was not it. Parth went on record as saying it was his least favorite David Fincher movie, which um, it, it puts you in an unenviable position, Parth, to be talking smack about uh, about a higher power like that. About one of my favorite directors. Yep. Um, my number eight is The Father. That's fair. In regards to The Father, I actually, which you just watched about 10 minutes ago. Um, this is true. Yeah, I thought Anthony Hopkins was great and... The last thing I expected to do was go and see the father alone at a Wednesday morning matinee and enjoy myself. But but there I was. I had, quote, a couple of chuckles, but I said, uh, besides that, it was boring and I was waiting the whole time for it to end. And as we'll get into later, I thought, 
you know how they, I mean, I don't want to give too much away, but they did, like, sort of manipulation to, like, sort of, like, simulate what a person with Alzheimer's goes through. Um, sure. And I thought that, like, made a point that, like, their lives are hard and this is kind of what it's like, but I didn't think it, like, built on that in any sort of meaningful way. It was just, like, sure. people are switching around and things are crazy. And then, you know, it kind of is just, like, a downward spiral and then it ends. I mean, I would rather have Tenet been nominated than this movie, but I don't... Wouldn't we all? Yep. What's your number seven? My number seven is The Father. Um, yeah, I saw this movie, like, ten minutes ago. It's a good movie. I think, like, Mank is the only film on this list that I would say that I, like, didn't like. I thought The Father was good, but it was too repetitive. There were scenes that were really nice and really well done. And, you know, it's kind of just an acting showcase for Anthony Hopkins. Um, but I don't know that I really took anything from it, uh, you know, thematically, narratively, emotionally. There just wasn't too much for me to latch on to. But still a good movie. I mean, I, I would check it out if you if you if you have a family member that's growing old and they're being a bit difficult. It'll hit close to home. I think if you have a family member with Alzheimer's, though, this movie would just make you very sad. That's true. And, and it's weird. Maybe don't. And it's weird because that's like the target audience, one might think. If you make yeah. a movie where the main character has like, you know, a, a common like disability, you'd think, hey, maybe this is for the members of that group. But I think if I, it'd be very frightening. Yeah. My number seven is The Sound of Metal. Um, which going in, I anticipated was going to be a heavy metal movie because that's kind of what the trailer makes it seem like. And it became pretty clear in the first 10 minutes that it was going to be a learning how to go deaf movie. And I think it's interesting putting it right next to The Father because it's both movies, you know, about just like learning. Losing some part of your physical and mental faculties. But m more so where the whole movie is like learning about more so a day in the life or, like, the inner workings of, like, these handicapped people that that one wouldn't typically understand. And I think The Sound of Metal is probably going to win stuff for sound design. Um, and I thought Riz Ahmed was good, but kind of... Did I have fun watching this movie? Not really. Am I going to go back and watch this movie again? Probably not. Fair enough. So my number six is Nomadland. Another movie I really liked... Uh, really well made, really well shot, and that was about it. It didn't really do much for me. I'm glad it was made. I'm glad a woman Asian director is getting a movie nominated and she herself is nominated. But beyond that, it's good. Check it out. Yep. We have similar nice peaceful feelings about Nomadland, and which is why it's, uh, it's interesting that it's being nominated for everything, and as we'll get into later, it's kind of favorite to win most of the major awards again be yeah. because that's how it performed at the Golden Globe. My number six is Trial of the Chicago 7. I rewatched the trailer for most of these movies just like refresh my memory and Trial of the Chicago 7 I actually moved further away on my list after watching the trailer. I guess I had some sort of fond memory about it. I think Aaron Sorkin's gonna win the original script. I think that's uh that's about it. I thought it might be a, a pleasant rewatch, but I think Molly's Game is honestly a better movie. Blasphemy. Oh, really? You feel this way? I think Molly's Game is, like, a bad script. 
that's the only thing I've ever seen by Aaron Sorkin that I've sort of really been disappointed by. It, it's a it's a good segue to my number five, which is Trial of the Chicago Seven. I, I think I'm kind of bored of historical docudramas a little bit. So you liked Molly's Game? <laughs> uh, I mean, that th- that was my. Uh... I guess that was my my dig at Chicago Seven that directly applies to Molly's game also. Yeah, I I kind of agree with Trial of Chicago Seven. I I think I had more of a fondness when I saw it, and since seeing it, I don't really think too much of it. I think it's like a perfectly fine movie that like they will show in like classrooms probably. Uh, it's PG thirteen, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That seemed, I don't know, strategic. And uh, I was watching a video talking about. It was with Aaron Sorkin and Sasha Baron Cohen talking about, like, it was, like, breaking down a scene or whatever. And, I don't know, Aaron Sorkin was just talking about how he just took, like, famous quotes from all these people and then, like, incorporated that into the court testimony. And I know you have to, like, take a grain of salt with all these dramatized versions of real events. Um, But I just know that, like, aren't there, like, real, like, court documents that actually say what happened? Yeah, but, I mean, I I'd rather he write it. Because it's more interesting that way, but yeah. Also, a, cor- a, a minor correction, it's rated R. Really? So I guess it won't be shown in classroom. I think it's just like a couple of F- F-bombs. A couple F-bombs too many. I always thought that it was one F-bomb, but then I learned that it's two F-bombs that are allowed in a PG-13. It can be three F-bombs. The social network has three F-bombs. Is it just like, that? that's the, the basic guideline for the MPAA, but then they have to like put their stamp of approval on everything, like... I think the MPAA is just a bunch of fuckwits who have no clue what they're talking about. Yeah, there wasn't even a PG-13 until they saw uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And they said, well, this certainly can't be PG because, you know, a man gets his heart ripped out of his chest. Golly ma. Yeah. My number five is Nomadland. Um, Oh, so we switched. Yeah, we've kind of shared our thoughts on this. What's your number four? Number four is Sound of Metal. Um, I really, really liked this movie. I... I loved the first third. I really, I think the first act is like the strongest thing in the movie. Um, Cause I think it does the most interesting things with like sound design. It should hundred percent win the sound mixing Oscar. It was really affecting and it like really scared me that I'm going to go deaf. Um, and I think obviously the movie is sort of about accepting that. It's sort of about how you can lead a fulfilling life beyond that. But I think it wasn't as gripping as the beginning of the movie. Um, still liked it. Um, but I would say I, as a whole, really liked it. I gave it four out of five stars. Or an eight out of ten, if you will. My number four was Mank, which I know pains part to no end. As we discussed, one of our collectively least favorite David Fincher movies, but still I found myself, I thought, have I rewatched any movie on the list? Um, and and Mank was one of the few that I've gone back to, partially because I've been trying to find redeeming qualities. I at least think it's interesting in the way that, it, like, uh, trust me, I'm not happy about this either, but I, I, I don't want to say anything more. Well, what's your number? What's we, your- we have a whole episode on Mank. If you want to know Trent's thoughts on it, we sure do. My, my number three. Would you like to know? Uh, I'm, I'm sure we have an episode on it. Uh, not yet. Oh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah. No, this was almost my number two. Oh. Yeah, I think Trent knows how the rest of this countdown is going to go now. But um, no, awesome movie. Really, really well written, directed. You know, it's acted. It's 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 a great movie. I don't want to say too much. 
because we're gonna we're gonna record an entire episode on this thing. But I really, really loved it, but not as much as these next two. So, Trent, what was your number? My number three was Promising Young Woman. Um, Interesting. Which I thought I originally. I mean, I didn't love it. I mean, I liked it a lot, but when in when standing next to these other five, I, I it would f- have felt wrong for it to not make a prominent appearance in my top three. So that would make your number two promising woman, young woman, yeah? It would make my second Minari. I see. I see what's happened here. This one, although I want to be clear, I think people now know what my number one's going to be. By process of el- elimination, naturally. But I think you could swap out my one and two, uh, really. I think they're... They affected me in really different ways. Minari, I didn't really expect it to hit me super hard, but it was kind of like a delayed fuse where, like, I was kind of, like, left in shock when the movie ended, and then 10 minutes afterwards, I started crying. Uh, You know, I I think I had kind of a personal reaction to it, me being son of an immigrant family. Um, (laughs) uh, And, you know, dealing with all of that, stuff i'm glad that there are movies now that are sort of being made about that experience because i think it's a very unique experience and one that the more people get to understand and sort of see in film and movies the more they'll be able to sympathize and maybe even empathize with people that come from immigrant families and things like that and we don't have a planned episode about minari but i'd like to talk about it at any point but it was really powerful for me uh, while I was watching it. And it kind of it kind of blew me away because I kind of didn't expect it. I kind of felt like it was going to be Nomadland for me where it was well made, really well done, but like ultimately left me empty and it was kind of not that at all. But uh Trent, you're you're number 2. Uh I was talking to my mom and she said there, very few of the Best Picture nominees are fun this year. And I made a point that the, my top three movies are the only three that I really had any level of fun watching. The preceding five are all good movies. Um, mm. But I feel like the Best Picture winner? It, I don't know. I think you should at least have a little bit of fun, it, I, I, if that's so wrong. Um, and which I think is something that Promising Young Woman did especially well. I definitely had the most fun watching that movie. But my number two is Judas and the Black Messiah, um, which I kind of think is sort of like the cool version of Trial of the Chicago 7. Trial of the Chicago 7 is a very safe movie. It's it's not taking any chances, really. Judas and the Black Messiah is a much more angry movie, as, you know, as it should be. Yeah, um, it, it, I mean, to bre- this is an Oscar spectacular. It, it, it is interesting to think about how both Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya, the title characters in this film, have both been nominated for a supporting actor. Total bullshit. Also, total bullshit is the Minari foreign film thing. Fuck that. Yeah, so f- fuck that indeed. Um, how ex- is it because, uh, I mean, was it, oh, too much of it is in... Isn't in English, even though Inglorious Bastards like defies that logic. If a movie is fifty percent or more in a foreign language, then it qualifies for foreign language category. I think partially it was also because they wanted to secure the foreign language Golden Globe, and it had a better chance of winning that than it did Best, you know, Drama. But 
I don't know. It it kind of upset me that 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 happened on a really personal level because it's kind of bullshit, and it kind of shows how. Weirdly enough, I think Nomadland and uh, Minari are both very comparable movies in terms of content. And uh, this is meant to be in no way disrespectful to Nomadland because I think that's a good movie and obviously a lot of people worked really hard to make it. But I think it's kind of telling that the movie with the white lead got to be the the main event drama and the one that starred Asian people had to be sequestered into... Uh, the other category but this is a fun podcast so let's change the tone real quick yeah so with that being said what's your number one hey so this might be a shock it's promising young woman yep yeah you 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 uh, you uh i think you gave this film a nine at the time i think a nine is a fair rating for it um in, in terms of films trying something new th- this is the promising young woman hour in in a perfect world, I think this movie would get the best screenplay win um, because I think it's such a tight screenplay and it's really funny. It's got uh, it's it deals with a lot of drama. It's it's got a really good tonal balance. It's a really tough balancing act. It it's kind of sucks because this kind of happens every year where only serious films are our best picture nominees, and I think it's kind of interesting to me that this was even nominated for best picture. I wouldn't necessarily you know, say this is like, oh, obviously that would be a best picture. I think the Academy was kind of nervous about what might happen if they didn't nominate this for best picture. Because it's clearly deserving, but it's certainly a more casual tone than than anything else on this list. And and the only thing at, at any point outright attempting comedy. Yeah, and I think that of all of the other movies, which I really liked, but they're dealing with some really sans mank um they're dealing with some really important social issues and this is the only one of the uh this is the only one of them that i think deals with it in in like a fun way that doesn't detract from the seriousness of the issues that they're dealing with Mm. and i think that that tonal balance is an incredibly difficult thing to strike and the fact that they hit it it's nothing short of a masterclass in in writing and directing and tonal balance and acting and it it hit everything correct for me. I think it's a perfect movie and it's, you know, it's going to be an inspiration for the years to come. So I think what you're saying about tonal balance really plays into my number one, which is Minari and which I'm shocked by because you, you texted me or Trent texted me when he came back from the theater watching it and you said you liked it, but didn't love it. Um, I, I let it digest a little bit and I was like, you were saying about tackling a serious social issue in a fun way. I thought this was the best balance of those two things. I think, uh, this isn't me saying that I think Minari is going to win best picture because I don't think that that's going to happen. But also I didn't think that Parasite was going to win last year. And I think Minari, uh, is in kind of the same position that Parasite was. They're not going to do it two years in a row. I'm not expecting that either. Um, An interesting kind of observation I made was grouping together The Sound of Metal, Nomadland, and uh, Minari, kind of just in terms of, like, the the docu-drama kind of, like, just following around. Like, you're not supposed to feel the filmmaking at all. And I thought Minari um, did it well, where I just felt like it was a lot of sunrises in Nomadland. 
Like, even though, like, I don't know, the handheld camera and just, like, going through kind of basic chronological storytelling, like, I, I see what it's going for, that it's all about the characters and, like, witnessing their environment. And in Minari, it was the only time that I I liked that. Yeah, I mean, and I, I, again, like, I feel like we get put into this weird position of hating on Nomadland, where, where like, I don't think either of us... We feel positively towards Nomadland. I also don't think that we're necessarily tar- the target audience for Nomadland. I think, like, our moms are the target audience for Nomadland. And I know that because my mom fucking loves this movie. Yeah, and I, but, like, with Minari, I would 100% agree that I think that it does what it sets out to do, I think, as effective as it possibly could. I got a much more personal connection with this movie than I did with almost every other, obviously, the other six movies on the list. Um, both both Promising Young Woman and Minari both hit me in a very personal way because they sort of dealt with those issues in a really tactful way that isn't going to be off-putting to an average viewer, which is what I think a lot of really good movies do. A24 was involved with Promising Young Woman, am I wrong? I don't... Is it? I'm not sure. Uh well not not important but I know that A twenty four is uh is involved in Minari but basically what I'm trying to say is that Promising Woman Judas and Minari it is not all right focus features I I think those are the only three like aiming at a younger demographic like and and I hate to say that that Mank does not make this cutoff despite I I me uh, like acclaiming David Fincher for making new age content um I think the rest of them are just kind of like for definitely like for like an older audience and i think part of that could be like why they're doing so well at the oscars the voting base is really old this this is true and which is kind of why these three that are on the top of our list were often predicted that they wouldn't be featured at all yeah and i mean they're also all prominently including either women or people of of color so then that might have something to do with it yeah i think Part of the reason why I want, why Promising Young Woman, I have that as number one, is purely because it's kind of a genre movie, and it's it's like the one with the most sort of fun plot, and the Oscars don't like that. Um, I don't know. My parents have been ragging on the Oscars for basically having movies that nobody's ever heard of, and I always fight back saying, well, some of them are really good movies that people should hear of, but there's also part of me that agrees with them that they're kind of snobbish. I think the problem is that, like, the point of the Oscars should be exposing movies that you wouldn't have been able to hear of anyway, but they're really, like, prestige pictures, so the Oscars is recognizing them and thus putting them in the public eye. But I think the problem is that how predictable, like, Best Picture has, I don't know, all, sure. all the, really the only category where there's any room for something you haven't heard of is the screenplays. That's the only place where, or or the special effects, like, that's where they snuck in Tenet. Um, or if there's one, or if they have really special sound design, they're just going to give it a little a little nod. But sure. in terms of introducing new things, I think, um, I mean, th- that's the last thing the Oscars is doing for me. Yeah. I- except for forcing me to watch The Father. I, I don't know. Wait. Should we? Yeah, should we? Should, I think we now we should talk about... What, what we what, think is going to win. What realistically is going to win. I think we have the same answer. But I, I think we should say this no answer and then the same answer and then come up with a backup if it isn't that. Okay. 
So I think we both think it's going to be Nomadland. Nomadland, yeah. And what is your plan B? Plan B. Not what you want to happen, but it, but... Yeah, no, um, I think there's a solid case to be made for trial. Oh. Which I don't agree with, because I think it's like a perfectly fine, it's like a fine movie. Um, uh, but I don't know, it's historical. I would love to say Minari, but I know it's not going to happen. The Oscars would never let that happen. We thought it wasn't going to happen last year. Two years in a row, it's not going to happen. I don't know. I A few months ago, I might have said Mank, but I feel like that's sort of lost in the conversation a bit now. Uh, I mean, skipping forward to the best director conversation, I can pretty much guarantee... I mean, this is the one It's that- going to be Chloe Zhao. I was going to say, this is the one that David Fincher has the best chance of winning, and he's definitely not going to win it because Chloe Zhao is going to win. Yeah. And I think it can also be said that original screenplay is going to go to Sorkin over Promising yeah. Young Woman. Which is a fucking travesty. And adapted screenplay is going to go to Nomadland, d- d- despite um, I d- me not thinking that the screenplay is one of the best five things about that movie. Yeah. I, I would agree. What about cinematography? Because I think it's going to go to Nomadland. And I think it's going to go to no- Nomadland too. I, Judas and the Black Messiah definitely had was the only movie this year where I paused and I was like, "Huh, it's a really interesting shot." I would say. I mean, I really liked Promising Young Woman, but Promising uh, Young Woman, I, I didn't think about the cinematography at all. I thought, I like, I don't know, the technical elements of Fincher. I thought, oh, maybe Mank could win this, but I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, I mean, it's looking to be a Nomadland sweep, as it were. Pretty much. Is that it? Did we do it? That seems to be our Oscars um, special spectacular. I guess we should talk about what comes next. Yeah, well, obviously this is a midweek special, and this upcoming Sunday we're going to be back to our normal uh, weekly scheduled scheduled. programming. We've got Joseph Sissio lined up. He was second unit camera operator for Spider-Man 2. And Spider-Man 3. And Spider-Man 3, among many other cool movies that we end up talking about. And that was, as we've mentioned, a lost episode. Nearly. Um, and then the week after that, it'll be us discussing Spider-Man 2 with Eye of the Duck co-host, co-host uh, Adam Volrich, uh, which is tomorrow. Where we're going to be recording this on the day that this episode comes out. Trent, is that... Are we done? And then after Did we finish? And then after that's Judas, and then after that's Before Sunrise, and then we're out of ideas after that. So um, and then and then we cancel. Wait, Trent. Instead of releasing all of these interviews that we've recorded, yeah, that way that we've worked really hard on. Right, right, right. Like on procuring and like like coming up with questions and sort of dealing with all this shit. Like, what if we just like never release that? What if we never release this episode? I, I, don't you think it would be the thir- the past thirty nine episodes would be in vain to stop right before the fortieth episode? Uh, as if the fi- fine. as if the fiftieth episode milestone is clearly impossible. We can't even get to forty. I don't know, guys. You're you're just gonna have to find out. Is the podcast canceled on our show? Craft services. Wait. Um. If you don't mind, you should rate and review our show. Please do follow us on social media at craft service pod or on Instagram at at craft services podcast. Yeah, but uh, if you could write a review, that'd be that'd be nice. Give us five stars, please. Yeah, if you don't mind. I I was thinking maybe we should do this part at the beginning because who on earth listens to the last 30 seconds of any any God given podcast. But um, if you've come this far, clearly you like something about the show. Um, 
So show us, tell us. And if, if you're in that, you know, minority of people who wants us to talk about what we've been watching rather than what we've been eating, um, you're allowed to state your case. And absolutely never say anything about that ever because I won. All right, so never mind about that last part. See you next. All right, see you on Sunday on church. It's like going to church on our on show. On the day of the Lord. On the day of rest. On Sabbath, come and listen to our podcast about the movies. Okay, goodbye. Bye, guys. That was good. I'm so hungry. I'm so I'm so hungry. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.